Australian education space is much more competitive. I mean, it's mm-hmm. an extremely uh, kind of a hard. It's like a marketplace that that you you need to kind of find you find you need to find the best school for your kids. And and when you as soon as you in in the school, it's it's all about you know competing for grades and awards and you know all these things. That is you know it's, it's obviously it's good for some kids, but it's a it's a very it's it's not the kind of a comfortable learning place for for many others and this is what the, the whole Finland as a space as an education space is like that it's it's a very soft and uh, student friendly and it's very much you know built around the, the collaboration doing things collectively and together mm-hmm. and in 1837 Horace Mann created the education system a system at the time designed to pump out factory workers and professors the same system that is still being used today in the 21st century now Mann's system is backfiring we are being molded by the same industrial system that has existed for close to 200 years. That system delivers us into a digital economy that has no need of our outdated skills. This isn't our teacher's fault. This isn't the government's fault. This is due to a rapidly changing world full of technology and unforeseen circumstances. And us Gen Zs are caught in the middle. Welcome to the Driven Young Podcast, the podcast for stressed, overwhelmed young Australians, teaching you practical life skills you can implement now to set yourself up in life. And now your host, Byron Dempsey. Welcome back to the Driven Young Podcast, and today is a very exciting episode for me. You all know I'm passionate about changing the education system. I think Australia's education system and so many others around the world are doing a very poor job at preparing us for the real world. And today I'm joined by an expert who has been in the education system for over 35 years, but not Australia's education system. Finland's, aka the number one education system in the world. Pasi Selberg is a Finnish educator and author. He's worked as a school teacher, teacher educator, researcher, and policy policymaker in Finland and advised schools and education system leaders around the world. He served as a senior education specialist at the World Bank in Washington, Washington DC, as a lead education expert at the European Training Foundation, as a director general at Finland's Ministry of Education and Culture, and as a visiting professor of practice at Harvard University. In 2013, his book, Finnish Lessons, What Can We Learn from the Educational Change in Finland, won the Graymere Award in USA for the idea to have potential change in the world. His most recent books, Let Children Play, How More Play Will Save Our Schools and Help Children Thrive, Finish Lessons 3.0, What Can the World Learn from the Educational Change in Finland, and In Teachers We Trust, The Finnish Way to World-Class Schools. He is a professor of educational policy at the University of New South Wales, Sydney, Australia. Whew. So, you can see, he is very, very qualified. He's probably one of the most qualified people in the world for this particular discussion, which is why I'm so excited to bring him on the show today. So, in this episode, Passy and I discuss what makes a Finnish education system so good and compare the differences between Finland and other countries, such as Australia, UK, America. We discuss what we should be learning in school, teachers, society, and expectations, as well as so much more. I know I talk about this in almost every episode, but that should highlight how big of an issue this is. And in this episode, we go into far more detail than usual. As per usual, please DM me if you enjoy this episode. Come along to my Gap Year Information Night if you are based in Sydney and want to come along to the program. Please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts and grab a copy of my book, 18 and Lost, So Are We. All the links are in the show notes below. Now, over to Passy. Passy, welcome so much to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Very excited about this episode. Um, I talk about the education system a lot on this podcast, um, almost too much probably, but um, this episode, we're going to be really deep diving it into it from your perspective. Um, obviously, you've worked a lot uh, with international education systems and with Finland, which is the number one education system in the world. 
Um, as you just told me, you've now been living in Australia for three years. You've got kids in the Australian education system. So you've got this rare perspective of someone who's, you know, worked in Finland, but then also has been in Australia long enough to understand what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right. So I'm very excited about this episode. But before we jump into that sort of stuff, I'd love to just know what you did after high school, what was going on in your head? Did you feel pressure to do stuff? Did you go to uni? Did you work? Did you take a gap year? And uh, what, what are you currently up to right now? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a long story. I have a lot, a lot of miles in my auto meter already. And uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of those one of those uh, young young persons in Finland who um, actually had a fortune to to be born in a family of teachers. So uh, you know, I was I was raised and educated in a schoolhouse in a, in another part of Finland. So it was uh, no wonder that teaching. Teaching became a kind of my, my, my first first ideal dream job, and that's that's what I ended up, you know, seeking after high school. So I was um, I was not particularly good student probably at high school because I had my you know had my own mind what I wanted to do, and um, I was very much in music and sports and those things. And high school that time was not really supporting those things. Uh, it was kind of a trying to squeeze everybody into the same format, and it didn't fit me very well, but. <clears throat> But you know that's that's that was one big driver to become a teacher. So I studied to become a teacher. I was teaching number of years in high school in in, in Finland, and and you know very much my my education career and professional life has been a kind of a sequence of uh, a kind of a fortunate uh, opportunities to do. I haven't I haven't really been seeking any any jobs that I've been doing, and and that's um, that's how I ended up eventually here in australia three years ago amazing and so you grew up in a generation of teachers so did you feel like you had it was just you didn't even have to think about what you were going to do it was just assumed to be a teacher or did you kind of battle with like what do you want to do no i didn't i I had a very clear idea in high school uh you know what, what what i want to study and and what i want to do for work and you know the big difference that time when i was young uh at the high school age compared to what it is now is that, you know, most people, including myself, that we, we have this kind of a deep rooted belief that you have to find your, your kind of a job that you want to have or career or field. And then you study for that. And then you spend your, all your life doing that thing. Mm. I clearly remember that, you know, I had, I had this dream that once I'm a teacher, I'm employed in my first school. I'm going to spend there for my, my next 40 years working probably become a school principal what <clears throat> sometime and then I retire kind of a, leaving this one career behind. And now now when I look at my own kids or, or, or young people in general, I realize that no such thing exists anymore. <clears throat> that you know these these kids and they know, you know, the good thing is that most young people understand this that that there's no no one one thing that you you will do all your life. You need to do different types of things. And you know that's my <clears throat> that's why my my feeling in high school was very different because I I was I was kind of a driven by this idea that I have to find the thing that I want to do. Whereas now the now the uh, you know most young people I know they they kind of think about what would I want to do first or next, mm. and, and then they think about their, their their work and life and future in a, in a kind of a more like a projects that I do three to five years something at the number one. You know the interesting thing is that I have ended up doing exactly that. You know I, I don't have very much longer than five years in a, in a in a particular job, so I've been working overseas and in finland and uh in in different different fields but always like a now i realized that you know it's, it's a kind of a working in a project and i always had to learn something new 
when I moved to a new 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 job. And and I, I think that that's that's something that has been new to me, but that's not something that is new to many of the young people now because they they already understand that, uh, you know, they they have learned, they have heard this cliche many times that most of these jobs that will exist when they are, uh, you know, in, in the middle of their working lives don't exist yet. So that yeah. you, you need you need prepare for different types of things but you know when i went to high school there was no nobody spoke about that there was kind of a certain set of things that you choose from and then you went went for that and and wish for the best Mm. i think um that's very true and i do think there still is an underlying level of that for a lot of people and um, for people who don't realize how much the world has changed and their parents might not realize that as well and so they're just going well when i was going to high school you do you check you choose this so now my son's going to choose this or something and i think you know that's a dangerous way of thinking because as you mentioned the world has changed a lot um i think yeah. there's a statistic and it was like 65 percent of um jobs don't exist yet for the next generation for anyone who's under the age of 17 65 65 percent of jobs don't exist yet um, which is to me exciting, but also it's like, how do you choose a career for something that doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Byron, even more importantly, you know, many of those jobs that we are now training people, young people to, don't exist in the future. They are not needed anymore. Mm. Uh, you know, just to take take a simple thing like uh, being a lawyer. Like many people think that you know law- lawyers will always exist and there was always need for lawyers, but you know this this is one of those one of those areas that artificial intelligence will do much cheaper and faster in the future. Yeah. So we of course we need lawyers, but we don't need lawyers as we used to that people people often think. Well, uh, and there, so there are many many other things that that you kind of dream about studying now, only to realize that you know it's going to be harder and harder to really get job in that field as it used to because the the um, you know, the technology will replace many, uh, many of those things that we used to kind of see as a, as a eternal uh, professions. Absolutely. And that's why on this podcast, I really focus on skills that you're going to use no matter what career you do. Skills like critical thinking, emotional intelligence, leadership, communication skills. I'm really big on communication skills and how valuable that is. Um, and creativity is huge, right? Because that's probably the last thing AI will be able to take over, creativity. Because, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could even do that if it will ever exist. But you're right. I've seen people like a lot of lawyer, like internship roles don't exist because AI is already doing them like the low level tasks. And so it's harder to get your foot in the door. Um, But moving on to, I guess, the education system as a whole, you mentioned you've kind of been doing project based stuff for the past five years, which I'm really um, big on. I love learning through projects. We actually um, just released a book here called 18 and lost so were we it's a book for young people and this was a project that um, a bunch of me and my friends worked on and it was very successful we sold over a thousand copies in the first day and um it just you learn so much through project-based learning but what are you seeing in the the main differences are between the Finnish education system and australia's education system uh, it's, it's like a it's like a fire and ice. <laughs> so there's a, there's probably more more differences uh, than than similarities. But oh, really? you know, but, but yeah, yeah. You know, I want to say first that you know we here in Australia we hear so much about Finnish education, and and people often refer Finnish education in different you know in different contexts and situations. What, what I've learned is that there's actually uh, fairly little like a real understanding what the Finnish education is all about. You know, most people when they think about Education in Finland, they think about the these OECD PISA results that you know Finland is always doing well in in, in literacy and and mathematics and science. Um, but you know, often the understanding of education system stops there. That people don't really, you know, very few people have spent enough time in a in a Finnish schools or or Finland in general to understand what the country is, is all mm. about. So, 
So, you know, these conversations are often rather artificial. But, you know, one, but the, the obvious difference is like, um, like the big thing that we realize as parents uh, compared to what we had in, in, in back home in Finland, thinking about our own, own boys and, and children's education is that in Australia, the education space is much more competitive. I mean, it's mm. an extremely uh, kind of a hard, it's like a marketplace that that you you need to kind of find you find you need to find the best school for your kids and and when you as soon as you in in the school it's it's all about you know competing for grades and awards and you know all these things that is you know it's it's obviously it's good for some kids but it's a it's a very it's it's not the kind of a comfortable learning place for for many others and this is what the the whole finland as a space as an education space is like that it's it's a very soft and uh, student friendly and it's very much you know, build around the, the collaboration, doing things collectively and together, mm. and, and you know, allow allow children to grow up as they are. Uh, whereas here in Australia, I see that this is much more. If you um, if you use the, the kind of a metaphors, this is much more like a industrial production site <laughs> where, mm. where we are producing different types of uh, uh, you know products and outcomes. Whereas Finland is much more like a forest or garden. Where the uh, you know parents and politicians and everybody kind of assumes that the the the, the main purpose of education is to educate different people, mm. you know individuals who have different skills and even even different knowledge, uh, different personalities who can do different things because you know in Finland we have about six million people so it's a very small nation it's a small economy, and we understand and we have understood this for a long time that you know if we want to be competitive. Which is a kind of an irony <laughs> that if you want to be competitive, you you need to be collaborative in oh, the sense completely. That, that, we, that we need to allow differences and and different people to collaborate because it doesn't make any sense that you have you know people collaborating who are exactly the same you know who think in the same way who have the same knowledge and same views and ideas nothing happens then you know that's why the you know the the innovation is so strong and deeply rooted in a place like like Finland or other Nordic countries because we 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 kind of assume that education will will somehow help people to grow up in a different uh, different ways and then when you bring these different minds and different you know ways of looking at the world and and thinking together you get different different outcomes and that's that's a big big difference between the the kind of ethos of education system in finland and here i'm not saying that you know in australia we wouldn't have uh, you know innovation or or that people wouldn't grow up differently but here in australia we have we are kind of a uh, we are kind of a selecting similar types of people to to particular types of schools much more carefully than probably any other country in the world that we have mm. you, know, you you look at some of the some of the um, selective public schools or private schools here in, in, in Sydney and you see that you know the kids are fairly similar they come from the very similar backgrounds they study yeah. very similar things they you know they even their dreams what they want to be are very similar they're, they're competing over similar types of things well all their Whereas parents in, all their parents you, are doctors you know, lawyers engineers in finance yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, people often ask somebody like me that, you know, what is the best thing that you learn in school? And I think it's a, it's a fair question for, uh, you know, people who have done already a lot of work. That, what did you learn in school that was really important for you? And I say that, you know, I, I don't I don't remember much of the knowledge or the things. I remember something from history. I remember I appreciate, you know, learning foreign languages that has been really important for me. But by far the most important lesson I learned in school that will never go away is this understanding that you know I can be in a, in the same classroom, 
I can be in the same school with so wide range of different people. You know, some of them are were really poor farmers' kids. They had nothing there. Mm. Um, and, and then the others, you know, they were kids of lawyers and doctors and others. But we were still in the same classroom. I still try to kind of uh, try to understand one another, and you know, in many ways, you helped and supported each other to do these things. But you know, as soon as you, we are selecting kids into different, you know, particular similar types of schools, they, they, many young people kind of grow up and they think that everybody's like, like we, and that's yeah. the, it's a big, it's a big thing uh, and, and problem in a, particularly in a place like Australia that is so multicultural and, and diverse uh, by, by default. And so that's, that's why I think is, you know, this difference that we have between our countries mm. uh, is a significant one. Well, I think Australia has a very individualistic individualistic ideology in terms of in order for someone to come first, someone has to be last. And so imagine how insignificant you feel at 16 years old when you get your report and it says you're number 33 out of 33 in the class for math. And how and it could just be you didn't like learning that way. And I was kind of similar. Like, I think you kind of mentioned it there, but like when I was in class, I from a, if, if you were to watch the class, you'd probably think I was one of the best in the class because I was always raising my hand, always asking questions. But that's because I didn't understand a lot of it. And I was really bad at exams. And so my marks often didn't reflect that. And as a result, I did feel a level of oh, all my friends are in the higher ranking classes. They're all smarter than me. I'm a little bit insignificant. And that is a dangerous thing to be putting on young people who are already, already having to deal with social media and all this stuff is happening in the world and comparing themselves to now compare yourself to your students and your, you know, your people who are in your class, your classmates is a really dangerous thing. And so I love the the way in Finland, it's more like raising as a whole. Because as someone who's been out of school for like five years now, everything that I've, like this book, for example, you know, this is eight of us. We all work together on that as a project. Everything I've achieved has been through a group or through working with other people and collaborating. Yeah. There's no way I could do everything by myself. It's just unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very important to, to realize this thing. <clears throat> and this, this, you know, this is one of the, one of the best things that the school can give to, to people to, to be able to, you know, understand dif- different people and work as a team. Um, and, and kind of a, how, how you can, how you can, um, unleash the, the potential and power that you have through other people, not just mm. yourself. Also, how you said it's important to be working with people who have different strengths and weaknesses to you. So it's like, yes, we can work together in a team, but if you're all the same types of people, it's not yeah. going to be that much growth. But if, you, if you've got someone who's analytical, someone who's creative, someone who's good at speaking, someone who's introverted doing this, and you've got a good mix of people, that's where you, you can get some really incredible results because you've got all different perspectives and talents. Yeah, yeah. Just look at the Australian team sports. That's exactly the same thing that, you know, somebody's building a, a, a rugby team or a soccer team. That's exactly how you think that. I, wanna ha- I don't want to have, you know, all the players exactly the same i need mm. to have different individuals and not 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 only in, in terms of the skills of athletic skills but also in terms of you know leadership minds that you know some of them can be introverts and you know focus on themselves but they, they these teams they also need to have different types of uh, personalities there and that's that's what we need to keep in mind in, in schools as well yeah i mean for anyone who plays fifa which is like the soccer they you when you create a team you're based on chemistry the chemistry the players have with each other and that will make yeah. your team better so it's it's very yeah, similar yeah. And, yeah and on the on the other side you know you look at some of the some of the particularly the european soccer teams like barcelona real madrid you know the big teams that that often attract the 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 the, the superstars to play that you know the more more you have this kind of a really top 
of the class superstars there, the worse you do as a team because they all everybody wants to win. They all want to have the kind of a <laughs> the kind of a first uh, first place there, and that that often is not doing any good for for the team or for for the collective. So you need to mm-hmm. have different different types of people there. Absolutely, um, but with the, I haven't done the, I haven't done heaps of research in the Finnish education in education system. I've read some books, I've interviewed some people, but from what I can tell, it feels like it's a lot more ingrained in the culture, the education system. So it's not just in the system, but like the way you treat teachers and the way parents are involved. It seems more involved than Australia's, which is very much. You know, I know my parents struggled to even get good parent-teacher interviews and like contact the teachers. Um, and so, is is that something that's quite big? Like, the, it's a, a cultural shift. Yeah, it is. But I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this it, it, this is a kind of a product of the culture. I think you know many of these things that you mentioned, trusting teachers and you know how how to engage parents and the community into teaching they, they have been deliberately built in the Finnish system so so you know I hear people often saying that you know in Finland you have this culture of this and that so it's easier for you to do but you know it's true with some things in our society like for example um, you know Finnish people have been always historically been a, a, a good readers that re, you know reading literacy has been a very important part of the you know building the nation. Uh, I'm talking about 150 years ago, and and that's a different uh, literacy has a different cultural role in Finland compared to what it is here. But you know many of these other things that how how, how the education system has been designed um, are not necessarily a cultural things. They are deliberately uh, designed in a way that you know the system system would work uh, in a different ways. So I, I think that you know the heritage here in Australia obviously is is very much from um, from Great Britain and there's a lot of influence from the US, a kind of an English speaking part of the education world. And, you know, these education systems in particularly England and um, and the, the US systems share many similar kind of assumptions that we have here um, here in, in Australia across the, the different states and territories. That is often very different. Like, you know, if you compare that to the, the Nordic way of, uh, you know, seeing, uh, understanding the, you know, even the purpose, the ro- role of education that I was speaking about earlier, that is a very different, different thing. So, so here we have much more, more kind of a historical and cultural um, uh, tradition that comes from not from Australia but from other places, which is understandable mm. um, in, in many ways. Yeah, well, we're such a young country; it's um, we've just kind of copy and pasted what we've seen from our neighbours, and uh, you know who helped set us up, which was the UK and, you know, a lot of influence from the US. But I'd love to know what, you know, I talk a lot about some of the skills earlier, what we teach on this podcast. If you were to create your kind of perfect school, what skills would you want to be teaching in this school? Like I've got my opinions on this, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this question. Yeah, I, I think the usual candidates are, are probably those that you mentioned earlier, Byron, about, about the uh, the communication, and you know, all these C's, uh, collaboration and um, complex problem solving and creativity, all those things. Uh, you know, some of them are, are quite difficult to teach, like creativity. There's a lot of debate whether whether a school can actually teach creativity. Uh, well, you do, know, my own. Does a school yeah, need to teach know, it, or just give an environment where people can learn it themselves? Yeah, you know, the f- the first thing is that there's not there's not a kind of a common view on what creativity is all about. What does it mean? So it's it's very difficult to teach something that we are not uh, we are not kind of sure what. What, what it actually refers to. Mm. So, so you know, my view is that 
you know, some of these scenes that I mentioned <clears throat> and you mentioned yourself are much more easier to uh, easier to teach. Like, like obviously, you can teach effective ways to communicate ideas for for kids, and you and, and many many schools here in Australia are doing a marvelous uh, thing in that. But then. You know, creativity is, is a quite another thing, and, th- and that's why you know how I see this thing is that that, that school is, is more about how the school is designed and and what happens inside of the school. Uh, you know, whether whether the school is the place that invites young people to, um, you know, be curious and and use their imagination. And you know, these two things for me are the the key conditions for creativity. We, we cannot we cannot have creativity anywhere, or we cannot teach creativity unless there's a curiosity that is kind of a Yes. triggering the, the use of imagination first yes. and, and, and you know this is this is what pe- people often uh, often get wrong is that they, they kind of try to teach creativity to young people in a place that has kind of a n- no opportunities for curiosity or imagination to happen and in a culture that is a kind of a uh, squeezing these things away saying that you know it doesn't matter what you're interested in in what your your kind of a focus on things is you know this is what you have to learn yeah and and don't use your imagination because this is what you have to remember and then at the same time we, we kind of a try to uh, teach uh, or help kids to to develop the creativity so i i think that you know we we need to, uh, I, I think we need to be a little bit careful in how we do some of those things like i've seen amazing schools here in in australia that are not teaching creativity at all, but are extremely creative places. And, mm. and I can imagine that, you know, those places are are the ones where the young people can really come up with their own ideas and, you know, take them further and, and, and be really, uh, really creative. But since, you, you you know, you asked me about, you know, what, what a school should teach or focus on. And, and you know, again, this is how I, how I feel about this thing is something that is very difficult to teach. But I'm often saying, I've been writing about this in my books, is that, you know, the, the one of the most important things that the schools today and certainly in the future need to do is to make sure that they, the school will help each and every young person to realize what, they, uh, what they're good at. Yeah. In other words, help them to find their passion. And, yeah. You know, if you don't do that, if you don't find your, if you if you leave the school, if you leave the high school and say I'm not really interested in anything, or I think that I'm not good at anything, I can do many things, but I'm not really particularly good at doing anything. I think you have missed many years of schooling, and, and <clears throat> you know, compared to the fact that that because <clears throat> sorry, I, I believe that every young person ha- has this passion somewhere, hmm. but it's like. Um, it's like a it's like a natural resources that you know if you if you if you try to find the natural resources in the soil sometimes you have to really drill deep and and try many times and then you find it what you were looking for mm. and these human resources are in in a way uh, the similar thing that sometimes they are buried deep in 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 this human young people's souls and minds and bodies and the school has to kind of discover that but at, you know as soon as as soon as you have helped the young person to find the their, their talent or their passion or their element, like Sergey Robinson calls it, uh, then there's no way back because you know that will that will be the fuel and energy that will keep these people going. And we have seen it in so many so many different schools and so many different situations that that how powerful this notion can be that when when you realize what your passion is and it will take your learning and and life and and career further. But only very very few schools are actually doing that systematically. That they are 
you know, many schools, what they do is that they're recognizing those individuals that probably already knew that what their talent was before they came to school. Yeah, uh, they were probably they were probably raised in a families where their parents had more opportunities to give them different different kind of uh, options in life and try different things. But I, I think we need to we can only be satisfied with the what the education systems are doing um, until you know most of the young people say that you know because I went to school I realized what I'm really interested in and th- that's that's what I would love to build in in my ideal school. Oh, I couldn't couldn't agree anymore. I think you know, that that's ultimately that is the ultimate goal for school. I think if you to say what is the in one sentence what is the goal of school to help kids figure out what their passion is or what they want to do with their life. And yeah, yeah. in my opinion, I don't think they're doing a very good job. I discovered mine, but it was all through alternative means, through listening to podcasts, through um, doing stuff with my parents, through outside of school. I mean, in year, in year 11, when you pick your electives, you pick like six electives. And if you pick the wrong one, that's it. You don't get to try the other ones. That's it. You've got, and usually you have to pick English and maths. So you really need to choose four and then you might be pressured to do a science. Okay, now I have to do a science for some reason. So you get like three options at picking something and if you pick it you can drop out but like it's too late you don't get to try other things and i agree i think if schools spent less time focusing on marks and exams and really just gave us a bit more free time creativity will naturally happen um yeah you know byron can i can i bring one more different because you started this conversation about these differences between finland and yeah yeah because you know one, one thing is that now when you're talking about these options and and well, I, I think first of all I think it's great to have the the kind of a, uh, options in a school that you can you can study different things sure. but you know my my experience is and, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here but my experience is that here in Australia it's a it's a very often it's a, your parents who makes those make those decisions uh, but particularly in a, in a primary school, but still in a high school that you know parents yeah. kind of a, when I, when I ask students, why do you study this one? Why, why did you choose this one? It's, you know, most often the answer is that my mother asked me to do this or yeah. you know, somebody else advised me to do this. Rather than, you know, the right answer would be that I I, I took this because I'm really interested in I'm curious about this thing. Yeah. I think, and, you know, what, what, you know what, what, one big difference we have in these education school cultures between Finland and Australia is that that back home in Finland, the students already when they go to preschool, and, you know, I'm talking about the kids at the age of three, that they they start to learn that, you know, when I'm in a place called school or preschool, I have to have a say. You know, it's my, I have a right to tell these people, these big people, what I'm what I'm interested in. At the age of three, you know, some people say you cannot ask a three year old what, what they want to learn, but why not? You know, they have their minds and they have their their life behind them. Mm. So we we start at the age of three in the preschool, you know, engaging these kids into these conversations that you know what is the, what is the learning for. And what what are you interested? In? What when you look around the world, you know what what are you curious about? And what would you like to learn? You know, these kids they learn that they can they can actually influence in what happens. Mm. And you know, when we before we moved here, we had to we had to have these conversations with the with my kids preschool twice a year with the teachers and the child to talk about this. So three of us we're sitting there and having a conversation what this three or four year old would like to learn. It's a very empowering mm. thing to you know, here for parent and the teacher and the kid that, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually important part of this, this whole thing as a kid. And when, when they grow up, you know, in Finland, when they go to primary school and then high school, when they're in a high school, when the Finnish kids, when they're about 15 years, uh, 15 uh, years old, that they can, 
they can basically decide what they want to do in a high school. And, you know, some people, some Australian friends say, but, you know, 15 year old, how, how can they know what they want to learn? And I say that, but, you know, they've already done that for 12 years, mm. you know, practically. Is that, you know, sometimes I made a bad, cop, a bad choice, and I have to learn from it. You know, I, I chose a, a, a wrong thing or followed the wrong lead, and I, you know, I'm learning from, from that. So what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, the, the huge cultural difference that, again, is deliberately built in between Finland and Australia is this, this student agency or student voice uh, and, and how important it is in, you know, trying to build a powerful um, and, and, and good way of educating kids. And, and now, you know, it, this right for young people to have a voice and have a say in, in regarding their own learning and, and what they want to study and how they want to study and so on is the, the most recent thing with the, um, uh, this COVID vaccinations to young people, you know, just like, just like here, the, the 16 year olds and uh, the high school, high school kids have been vaccinated basically, uh, you know, most of them in Finland, but now they have, they have started the, um, uh, 12 year olds and older, uh, older kids uh, vaccination. And the big question was that who will decide mm. whether they will get a vaccine or not? And guess what it is? Is it the kids? It's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, that's, that's what the government said. That's what everybody said. Let's ask these kids what they want to do mm. rather than as the parents or authorities or somebody else. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a sign for kids to, uh, to realize that, you know, these people are asking my opinion when it regards my own health and my own body. And I have to, I have to think about it. Like what, what would I do and why, if I say no, why should I say no? Mm. And, and, you know, so Finland is doing a lot of these things by, you, you know, giving, giving these young people the agency and voice. That is such an important thing when it comes to, you know, later part of the, the, the when they're teenagers or, or think about in a high school, what to do, because they, they're already, I would say that, most Finnish young people are probably much more independent and in, in a way, in some ways, much more able to, you know, take this responsibility to choose things in their lives for themselves than, you know, young people in many other countries because they have much more kind of a handheld all the way through high school. And, you know, I, I lived almost 10 years in the United States and I was always shocked about to realize that, you know, how much parents, mothers and fathers are actually selecting college for their kids. Yeah. That they drive around and then the father said, you know, this college, this, this is where you have to go without asking this kid at all, you know, whether he or she is interested in doing these things. So I, I think that when the Finland is building this kind of agency and power and autonomy in its young people, that that's why we are often, you know, seeing the culture and the schools and the society in a different ways. Absolutely. And it's almost the polar opposite as you mentioned of Australia, like you're just force fed everything you have to learn. You, you, you don't really get much opinions up until year 12, 11 and year 12, we get to choose the subjects. And even then, as you mentioned, a lot of kids are choosing subject based on their parent, parents' opinions. Um, I, I didn't do math in year, year 11, year 12. And not many people did that. And everyone's like, Oh, can you not do math? I was like, yeah, you don't have to do it. And they're like, Oh, cause everyone just assumes you have to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. and, and other, yeah. And the other thing was, I'm sure you've heard, but from zero to seven studies have shown that that's where 95% of who you are as a person is developed. And so if you're yeah. saying from the zero to seven years old, 
in f- five of those years, the kids get to decide what they're learning. The amount of confidence that'll give them and how that will develop them as a person is huge because by the time they're 15, they've got this confidence. They are independent. They're choosing what they want to do. So when they turn 18 and they make that decision, it's all on them. Whereas here, it's the opposite. You're, you're told what to do up until 18. So when you have to make this big decision, what do you do? You listen to someone else. Yeah. And you yeah, can yeah. see how it just gets ingrained from a young age and how simple it is to shift it as you've done or you know they've done successfully in finland yeah yeah and you know here i, I teach uh, today i mostly teach a doctoral students so i you know my students at the university are the ones that have done all the other degrees they have done their high school and undergraduate and master's degrees and you know some of these some of my doctoral students tell me that you know this is the first time in my life in my learning life when i can study what i want wow and that they can do their doctoral uh, doctoral dissertation and thesis on the topic that they really feel passionate about. I said, but, but why why did you need to you know study twenty years just to get to the point where you can say that I can I can study the things that I'm really interested in? And I said that you know in Finland we start this at the age of three, so these kids they they grow into this culture that not always but you know sometimes you can. You can you can you can kind of learn and study things that you're really curious and interested in about. But I I I I'm just make want to make sure that people don't who are listening to this conversation make no mistake with this. That you know in, in Finland, of course, there are a lot of things that kids have to do. So you know, Finland is not the kind of an Eldorado where you know you can you can do whatever you want to do. You know, of course the schools are teaching literacy and numeracy yeah, yeah, and yeah. science. The basic you know, things. fundamentals. I, but you know the <laughs> Every, every now and then it's, it's, a, it's a good idea that the kids learn this thing that, you know, learning is about, you know, learning things that I'm interested in. And sometimes learning is about learning things that I need to need to learn and, 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 and need to know, even if they are not always a kind of interesting things. Mm. But this experience that the kids, uh, you know, kids don't have often here in Australia and most of the kids in Finland have is the, this thing that, you know, the most powerful learning probably happens when, when you are in your element, when you are, when you really decided to do something, and then you have you are in an institution or classroom or with a teacher who is helping and supporting you to move forward. So that is a, a very very important uh, aspect. Yeah, well, I mean, if you if you want to, I think the key thing is first of all you have to create a need that, that the kids want to learn it, and um, once they understand they want to learn it, then they'll be far more likely to do it. I interviewed um doctor doctor I forgot her name. I've got a book here. She wrote a book called, um, actually, I'll, you, you might have met her. I'll, I'll grab it right here. Um, who cares about math anyway? So she wrote yeah, a book yeah. analyzing Australia's education system. And um, she talks about that concept exactly where um, you need to be interested, get kids interested in what they're learning. Because it's like, if you're learning math and it, you, you know, let's say you're learning Pythagoras' theorem and you say, miss, when are we ever going to learn this? And they say, I'm not too sure. It's like, well, why would I have a want to learn this? If I know I'm never going to need it, I'm not motivated to learn it. But if you create it into some sort of game or some sort of thing where they can understand why they should learn this or they have a problem to solve, then they're far more likely to learn it. And so I think there's so much we could be doing. I would. This might be a bit extreme, but like the sentence you said earlier, I would almost consider illegal the fact that we don't get to choose what we get to study for such a long time, for like 20 years. That seems absurd to me and i hope in the future in like 50 years they look back at us in 50 years and go i can't believe that's what they're doing and we fixed it by then but that is absurd to me like you know it's taking away a big part of your childhood isn't childhood all about learning and discovering yeah 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 that's that's true yeah and it's it's, it's not it's not 
kind of a completely easy to design or redesign education system so that this would happen. But, you, you know, there are many countries, including Finland, that are examples that you can do that if you want to. But it requires a, a kind of different mindset from the, you know, the authorities and politicians and, and many others to kind of think about mm. what is a school for. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's switch gears to teachers because I think that's a big, you've written a book specifically on teachers as well um, that came out this year, didn't it? Yeah. 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 So I know the way teachers are, you know, re- perceived in Finland is much higher status than in, in Australia. In Australia, you know, teachers, I, I do believe they're very undervalued. They're just the same way. If you went up to someone and said, Oh, my kid's studying to be an engineer, they'll be like, Oh, an engineer. But if you said my kid's studying to be a teacher, they'll be like, Oh, that's cool. A teacher. It doesn't have the same like status level as an, a doctor or an engineer, even though I believe teachers is one of the most important roles in society. So what, has, what have they done in Finland and what, do you, what are your opinions on teachers and what can we do to try encourage young people to you know, be motivated to become incredible teachers? Yeah, you know, this, this is a very important part of the conversation because today when we are having this conversation is the uh, International Teachers' Day. Oh, is it really? So I, yeah, I know, I know it's, not, it's not in Australia. We are celebrating Teachers' Day a little bit later this month, but everywhere else on the planet today is the day when exactly these questions are asked, Byron. Uh, that you know, how do we, how do we make sure that all the teachers are trusted and respected and valued? Um, and you know, unfortunately, it's it's actually happening everywhere around the world, but particularly here in Australia, that it's uh, teaching to be a teacher has become less and less kind of a popular among young people. That they they realize, especially if you are happen to be a child of if your parents or one of the parents is a teacher, you see, you know how much they work and how much they kind of a. Uh, uh, struggle in the in their um, professions and how little they are paid compared to what you would make if you were doing something else with your degree. So I think I you know this this question that you ask is often asked about you know how how Finland ended up in this situation where uh, and you're absolutely right that there's much more trust in in what teachers do. There's m- much more confidence in the schools in in general. There's much more social. Uh, kind of a value and respect to teachers' work um, uh, in in Finland compared to here, and again, you know, this is one of those one of those things that you cannot explain. Say that, but you know, maybe, maybe Finland is a kind of an education culture. Maybe it's a it's a kind of a build on this idea of you know teachers, like in Singapore and some other places. That you know, it's a, in Singapore they say that teachers are nation builders. <laughs> they are mm. basically next next to the um, uh, those who hold the power there in in, in a society, but. In, in you, you know, in Finland, we don't have any anything like this because it's it, this teacher issue is one of the, one of those examples of systematically um, build a profession, a strong a profession. And I want to underline this word: word teaching is a profession in Finland because all, all the teachers, including uh, primary school teachers and increasingly preschool teachers, must hold a a master's degree. Um, or, or advanced degree from the research universities. So they are finished, all the Finnish teachers are educated in the research universities, just, just like lawyers and doctors and architects and, and everybody else. So they have this kind of a same level of, of initial preparation behind them. <clears throat> but then the equally important thing is that since already 25 years ago in the 1990s, I was a teacher at that time, that the, the government uh, gradually started to, um, you know, issue schools more autonomy and free professional freedom 
to decide how they want to run the school, how they want to teach, and you know what type of curriculum they want to have in a school, um, in, in, including how they think their students should be assessed. And here in Australia, everybody knows that we have this NAPLAN machinery that is a kind of a doing this service for schools and teachers. But in Finland, we have nothing like this. It's all part of the, what the teachers are doing. So, so I, I think that this, the fact that we have kind of a systematically built over time a, a stronger profession that has a voice again, you know, remember that kids have, children have a voice. Mm. Also the teachers in their profession, they, they are expected to speak out what happens in the school. They are assumed to be part of the, the national debates and, and conversations about what happens in the, in the classrooms. Unlike here in Australia, you never see or never hear kind of a regular teachers in any, anywhere media because they, they just, just can't do that. Mm. And, and I was shocked when I came here three years ago when I realized that a, a teacher in our primary school cannot actually take a, a pen and paper and write a opinion piece or letter to the editor or uh, go to the radio show and speak about, you know, what, what happens there. You, they never do that. And, mm. and, and, you know, I, I kind of realized that if, the, if, if there is a profession that you can never hear about. The only things that you can hear about, you open the newspaper and read about something horrible that happened in the school. Or, or then you see the uh, teacher associations or unions uh, only making comments um, about these things. You know, obviously, you know, your, your, your kind of a perception of that profession is that it's not probably even a profession because, you know, the, 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 the teachers don't have such a face that, that they should, uh, should have. But you don't need to go very far from Australia when you realize that, you know, in, in much of the rest of the world, this is a completely different thing. The mm. teachers are very active parts of their communities in communicating and debating and, and even educating parents and, and the community about what needs to be done, but not here in Australia. And I think that that's something that that's, that's, what, that's one of those things that I really would love to change here to make sure that, uh, that the teachers and the schools would have, again, more agency and voice in regarding their own work and that they would be seen as an important uh, constructive uh, players in this effort to make Australian education better. Mm. Well, that's actually what um, Dr. Majada said as well, which she came from Turkey and she's been a teacher there for a long time and a parent in Turkey. And then she, similar to you, came to Australia and she was shocked at the absolute lack of communication between teachers and parents and how difficult it was to be able to get yeah. in touch with a teacher. Um, again, this isn't the teacher's fault. It's more... That's just not the way it works here for some reason. And it's kind of just like we seem to have just settled for it. And I'm not sure why, um, because the other thing I'd love to get your opinion on is, you know, as someone who was at school relatively recently, I think kids always get blown away how some teachers are still teachers. You often get some, you know, just like any job, you get incredible teachers and you get some pretty shocking teachers. And for some reason, you a shocking teacher will stay in school for 10, 20, 30 years. They're teaching kids and they, they you know, they're burnt out. They're not engaging. They just say, okay, read from the textbook. And you're like, there is, I know teachers who are unemployed and can't get work who would be a thousand times better than them. But these people just stay in the system for 10, 20, 30 years. Is it like that around the world? Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, it is. You know, there's no, there's no system education system that I know that would uh, honestly say that, you know, we don't have any of those teachers in our system, uh, that they are, you know, Finland has those and, and uh, I don't know how many, but, you know, I've, I've seen them and I heard about them uh, and, you know, any other country, obviously 
have that. And, you know, it's a natural thing that you sometimes you make a bad choice. You think that, you know, teaching is my, my thing. You go and educate yourself to be a teacher. Then you realize you teach for five years and you realize that this, this is not really, really kind of a thing for me. And, you know, the fact is that if you have, let's say you have a primary school teacher education degree, there's not many other things that you can do with that degree. Mm, yeah. uh, if you're mathematician, I was a mathematics teacher for many years. I'm a mathematician as well. So I could have kind of a find something to work um, outside of the school. But there are many there are many people who don't, who kind of like realize that, you know, this is, this is what I need to do. So there are always those people who should be probably somewhere else, not in a school, you know, working with the kids. And that's unfortunate. But at the same time, you, you know, here in Australia, we have, we have a kind of a measures and, and procedures how to move these these individual teachers out of the system. Finland has those measures as well, and and every other country. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, if we if we if we see or experience that there are there, there are teachers in a school who are not doing their job as they they would, you know, one thing to check is that whether this is a kind of a situation always all the time mm. because teachers are like you and me that you know sometimes you have a good good yeah, day yeah. and sometimes you have a bad day and yeah, yeah. you know things happen in your life that influence in you know everything you do but you know if you if you like if you have a bad day like every day you go to school then i think there's something uh, that needs to be done and i'm quite sure that those things are done in australia as well whether they are done in a kind of early enough or, or whether they are done in a, in a kind of a uh, in a, in a kind of a powerful way enough. I'm, I'm, I don't know about that, but mm. every country, you know, if somebody says that, you know, we, we have too many bad teachers in the system, that's not probably the case. I, I, th- I think that we need to, we need to take a little bit more closer look at, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Cause I mean, even I've got two siblings, we all went to the same school and it's like, you know, we can all tell you we got the same teacher and we all, didn't like that teacher and the same with a good teacher we all we all talk about the most amazing teachers and it's like that's where you know being a teacher you can have such a huge impact on someone's life whether it's positive or negatively and that's why i think it is sad that teaching in australia has become a lower status sort of thing because it means we're not attracting the highest quality people and people and i, I something i hear all the time is when you get a high atar which as you know is our you know our mark if, let's say you yeah. get a 95 ATAR, which is very high. People who got 95 ATAR are very unlikely to be a teacher because teaching is like a 75 ATAR. And so they use the words like, I wouldn't want to waste my potential, which is, blows my mind because it's like, well, you're not wasting your potential. Go, if you want to be a teacher, go be a teacher. Who cares about the marks? Like you're going to be an amazing teacher because you're doing it for the right reasons. And, and that's a whole cultural thing as well in terms of marks. But that goes back to what you said earlier on about how, it's very much the zero sum game. You're just focusing on yourself. Yeah, but I, I hear what you're saying, Barra. But I, I think we need to be careful also in arguing that the higher your ATAR is, that the better teacher you would be. Yeah, for sure. Because you know, there's a there's a lot of research about this, of course. That you know how, how much the, the the teacher's academic talent or or abilities predict being a good and successful teacher there's not really much evidence for that yeah uh, and you you know again i said i i was a mathematics teacher and i was not really i was good in i was better than average in the mathematics and, and sciences in a high school but i wouldn't consider myself to be a kind of a gifted mm. 
like some other uh, my high school uh, friends were like they they didn't need to work at all you know all the mathematics and science in high school was very easy for them they, yeah. they basically everything like this i had to work hard you know sometimes i i really had to struggle and i still couldn't get this task or problem solved but i i remember that when i went to when i was teaching mathematics in high school for many years and when i had whenever i had a student who came to me and said a teacher you know i i, I kind of kind of understand what to do with this i i knew exactly how this student felt mm. and you sometimes i was able to, yeah sometimes i was able to help the students to say okay let's sit back a little bit and think about something else or take, let's take a kind of an easier thing and try to do that whereas you know if i had been a kind of a mathematically gifted most likely i would have said ah but you know this is easy yeah how yeah, are you yeah. gonna, how are you gonna get this one yeah. <laughs> and just try harder i think harder something like this so <clears throat> but it's not so always but I'm just saying here, I often hear in Australia say that, you know, we should get more, you know, higher ATAR or academically talented people to become teachers. It may be, it may be a kind of a good thing for some, but it's certainly, it's not the solution for, for, for having, because, you know, we also need to look at what happens in these four or five years when, when these students are studying to become teachers in a school. I, I think we can do, if we have a different type of more rigorous um, program to prepare teachers here in Australia, we have some programs, but not not like uh, across the board. But if we could do that better, we could make, you know, even those who come to teacher education with a lower ATAR, we could help them to grow and, you know, understand what this profession is, give them a higher degree um, and be better teachers. That, that, that's much better a more sustainable way than just trying to hunt for this uh, the best and the brightest. You know, in in a, in an open open society and economy like in Australia, we can never have a system here where the most talented and gifted, uh, academically uh, gifted high school kids would decide to become teachers. It just doesn't yeah. have happen. So oh. we we have we have to find this other way of, you know, investing more in this preparation and education of teachers. I completely agree. Like full disclosure, um, I'm I'm kind of well known in getting well known in Australia as the guy who doesn't like the ATAR system. I I actually hate the ATAR system. I think it it, it gives a preconceived idea that smart kids who get a high mark are very smart and going to be successful, and kids who get a bad mark are going to be a dumb and not successful. When it doesn't, you know, you you can you're in full control of your life. Um, but for example, I love that you said that because I actually do a lot of teaching. I run a I help run a two day program, which is um twelve hours of teaching each day nine o'clock to nine, nine o'clock at night we do money and finance skills we do communication skills emotional intelligence critical thinking we talk about gratitude um and a whole goal setting we do all this stuff and i teach for 12 hours straight i've spent so much time in presenting like i just focus all my time in presenting and keeping them engaged and you know how do we we do all these different nlp stuff we, we play different music we do dancing sessions and games and everything and it's such a fun way to learn um, and on top of that Yes, I know the content pretty well because I've been doing it for a while now. But like, I agree. It's so much better to learn from someone who also struggled because they know what you're going through. And it's like, as you said, if I go to someone and they're just like a tutor and they go, just do this and this and this. And you're like, well, I've been trying to do that, but it's not working. It's better to learn from someone who struggled it as well. So I think ATAR shouldn't even come into play for teachers. I think it, I don't know how you do it, like an interview based thing or some sort of thing where I don't know, but I completely agree. I think you just want people who are passionate about being teachers, who love, who are good presenters as well. I think that's a big thing for teaching. You should be a good presenter and be able to engage a classroom, how to deal with kids who aren't paying attention, how to do, you know, do all that sort of stuff, as opposed to someone who's just good at English. 
you know, there's a lot yeah, more. Yeah, your personality is a very important thing, and mm. and like you know, people people often ask me that how do you in Finland how do you select the the teachers in initial teacher education in the first place, you know, before you can even study to become a teacher. And it's exactly, it's an interview. It's a, it's a, the last thing before you are rejected or uh, accepted in the program is your individual interview, like in a job. You know, there's mm. a panel of university folks and they're asking you, they're asking you questions that try to kind of reveal whether you have a, a strong enough moral purpose and commitment to be, be a teacher and you know, I often tell this story about my niece who was in a, last year of high school in Finland a few years ago, and um, decided to become a primary school teacher. You know, my sister is a teacher as well, so her her, her mother was a teacher, and our grandfather, and you know, everybody. There's a lot of teachers in her family, so she kind of chose the same way. And she went to she went to this final interview. She was about 19 years of age, just just after high school, and this panel was asking all kinds of questions. And then they they came to this question that why do you why do you want to become a teacher? And they look at her kind of a similar to ATAR, but kind of a final diploma. And they were all all A's, like straight A's, really mm. smart kid. And they say that you know with your with your marks and grades you could you could you know you could be a doc, medical doctor, a lawyer, whatever you want to. But why why teaching? And she didn't have an answer to this. Mm. The only thing she could say was that you know my 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 uncle is a teacher. And my grandfather, my mother is a teacher, so we are all teachers. And that was not good enough for the panel saying that, you know, this student, she's smart, but she was not able to explain why exactly she wants to have teaching as a career. So wow. she had to go back to school as an assistant teacher for a year and then went back to do the same thing again, this uh, application thing. And, of course, they asked the same same question again. And then she was able to, you know, speak about her feelings and emotions and, you know, commitment to, you know, help kids and, you know, do, do this and that. And that was good good enough for the panel. So she was accepted. And now she's, you know, she's a lifetime teacher doing very wow. well. But, but you know, there are many, many of her colleagues. And still to, today, you know, it's the same thing happens that, you know, this this panel who is interviewing this candidate said that, you know, I think that you're better off being a lawyer. So go, go to law school. <laughs> Don't come to teacher education or, or, you know, become an engineer or something like this. And, you know, many people do that. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of those. I, I, I wanted to be a, be a primary school teacher, but I was never good enough to, to get through. I don't wow. know why exactly, but they just said it. That's why I often say that I decided to, um, you know, be a professor at Harvard University and, now at the University of New South Wales, because I, I was not good enough in Finland to be a primary school teacher. I could be, you know, if they, if they had said yes to me many years ago, I would be probably teaching in a primary school or principal of the primary school. there. So so it's a different, and this is a very important thing for Australia. When we think, think about teachers is that, you know, we can have a wide range of academic abilities, you know, this kind of a school knowledge that is a very, as you said, it's a very different thing to be good in you know things that the school is teaching to you compared to being a good with the things that the the world and the life is teaching to you and that you know th this is what the finland is trying to do that we try to include all these different types of candidates in when the the, the new teacher uh, teacher students are are selected understanding that you know there there are always young people there who are not for any reason they're not good at school but they they, they don't get the high scores in mm. In subjects, but they can be excellent teachers. But they have this kind of a burning fire and and personality that is exactly fitting to, you know, work with the kids and you know teach them stuff. And we need to get those 
young people as well into teaching yes. as much as these, you know, these high, uh, highly able, gifted and talented uh, kids. And that's the, that's the solution, not just the, the best and the brightest. Well, that was kind of me. Like I, I didn't get a very high ATAR, but I teach, I don't, I don't teach traditionally. I do a different kind of teaching, but I'm just, I love it so much. I don't do it for money. I just do it because I, I really want to. And I do this podcast because I want to provide value. Um, and I recognize other people like that and completely agree. And I love the interview um, thing. I'm, one of my dream, my kind of my big ultimate goal is to help change Australia's education system pretty much. So it's more like the fin- finished one. I think I believe in it so much. I think it, I would have benefited so much more from that. I would have been able to be way more creative. I would have been less, less hard, harsher on myself because of marks, you know, mental health for, you, for young Australians is through the roof. A big yeah. reason for that is probably marks and the pressure on them. Um, so it's very exciting to hear this system and how, as you mentioned, it's it's less cultural. You know, cultural is a byproduct of the change that you made. And so it's possible. People like Finland have done it. Sure, it's a smaller country, but it gives me hope for countries like Australia. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there are many other – if you don't – this is what I often say people here. You know, if you don't like Finland or if you have got enough of Finland – in these education conversations, go to Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing that Canada is so similar to what we are here. Like you go to Ontario or Alberta or, or BC, almost anywhere in Canada, and you see, you know, you see pretty much things that you could see in Finland as well. Mm. You know, same type of belief in in the kind of a stronger agency of of children and and. Uh, uh, students, the, the kind of a professionalism of the schools, and you know many of these things that we've been talking about, you can you can find in Canada. So if the Canadians can do that, and, and you know they come from a very similar tradition and, and heritage that we are, we are here, mm. that if the Canadians have been able to do that, you can you, you can always claim the weather, the climate, say that you know it's ice and cold, so there's nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the education of you know do these things, but that's that's rubbish. That's yeah. Not but you know, there are always people who find a kind of excuses of you know why we cannot, why we should have things like here. You know, my my common response in uh, I've I've seen hundreds of schools here in Australia during my three years, and when I ask things like, you know, why do you um, in your school why you why you don't have more time for students to you know be in charge or, or you know play or be by themselves, which I think is a very very important thing that you know I think all the Australian kids should have more time to experience that you know i'm in charge Absolutely. I, I can control what I, what I do you know the answer is often is that but you know this is how it's always been mm. say, what and they say but that's what everybody else is doing say, that's a wrong answer that's terrible we say that, we cannot say that you know this is we, we we're going to continue things as as usual but you know the good thing is that some of these schools that i go back there and they say i heard you know number of stories people say that we, we really started to think about in our conversation, when when you say that, you know, doing things as we have done always before is not the kind of a good <laughs> good way to respond to this, and they are beginning to change things, but only only because of you know, somebody like me from completely outside of the system comes here and questions these these things that people consider as a as a kind of a common things and and things that cannot be changed, like this mm-hmm. very important fact here is that I think that young people in high schools and primary schools in Australia should have much more time for themselves Absolutely. like we do in Finland, that, yeah. that you can, that you can, you know, and, and, you know, as a young person, you, you, you understand how important this experience is that, that you, you sometimes during the day, you, you have this feeling that, you know, I'm, 
I'm in control of myself. <laughs> like I don't, I don't need to ask anybody, can I do this or can I do that? Or I don't need to listen to anybody telling me that, you know, ha- you have to do this, this mm. stuff. It's all about, you know, what I want to do. And, and, you know, the Finnish schools are interesting places in a sense that, that every 60 minutes in a school, like every 60 minutes, the kids are in a school and kids are in a school in Finland, much less of those 60 minutes than here in Australia. Every 60 minutes must have 15 minutes for, for, the, the, the young people themselves. Wow! Just to experience this this idea that you know I can decide what, what I want to do, and it's you know often it's in a primary school it's often it's a play that they can kind of hang around. In high school, it's, it's more about just you know connecting and uh, you know chatting with their friends and or you know sometimes you know there are many people who just need to have a walk by themselves. They they, mm. they need to be alone. They cannot be in a, in a classroom of 30 kids all the time. They need to have their own they, they need to have a walk around the schoolyard and just think about these things. Mm. But you know this, this feeling that you know I'm in control that I can I can I can decide what to do is such an important thing and it's almost stolen away from you know many young people here um, here in Australia. Yeah, well they just jam pack you know, if they have this time during the school day, and I'm not talking about school days only, you know, this happens in Australian homes more and more, that the kids are kept indoors or they are put in a kind of a activities or, or recreational programs where somebody else is controlling what they do mm. rather than allowing them to, you know, do <laughs> do the things that they, they, they want to do. And the other thing that I think we we are kind of getting wrong in many places, particularly here in Australia, is this fear of, that the, the kids are are getting bored. I think we need to bring boredom back to young people's lives. And you know, when my boys come to me, I said, "Daddy, I'm bored. There's nothing th- things to nothing to do." I said, "Great, you know that that's a absolutely fantastic thing." So use that opportunity to think about what do you really want to do. Mm. But you know, h- how often we we really tolerate that young people would be having this feeling of you know uh, getting bored. And I think do you know the problem is that. in that situation there. So if, let's say you're, you're a kid and your dad says to you, uh, and you say, I'm bored. And he says, oh, great. And then you go outside and make a, a ramp and jump off your bike or something with it. That's what I used to do in New Zealand where I yeah. grew up. Nowadays, if they say they're bored, they just jump on their phone or jump on their iPad. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where it can almost be like, it, it is so easy to not be creative or go outside and do anything because it's just so easy to stay in on our phone and just scroll, which is yeah. I think, quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah, we have, we we just completed a study here in Australia asking parents about their, their children's digital habits. You know how they deal with the the smartphones and technology, and and I think it's what eighty percent of parents or something like this. A vast majority of parents say that the the easiest thing to kill the boredom mm. is to take your, your own uh, digital device or go to the TV. Yeah. So uh, so that's why that's why I think it's it's important to control those things as well a little bit better. Absolutely. Well, listen, we've just hit the hour mark, so we've gone a bit over, but that's fine. Um, we'll wrap up with the final question. Um, but before that, I wanted, I did have a comment I wanted to say, oh, yeah, I, I heard this thing that kind of ties in what, with what you're saying about, um, well, this is how it's always been. I heard this thing, it's like, if you were to go back in time 100 years, the world would look completely different. The cars would be different, probably be horse and carriage. Um, everyone would be dressed different, but the school system would still be the same. <laughs> And I'm just like, wow, that's a that's a great little one-liner there that I, I really love. And that's, you know, in a world that's changing so fast, it's, it blows my mind how little innovation there is in our education system in Australia. Yeah, and even, you know, if you want to add something to this uh, this uh, this true comparison is to just take the hospitals, you know, healthcare 100 mm. years ago. 
how different the 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 healthcare systems and mm. the, the the whole whole way of you know healing people and and taking care of them was compared to what it is now. So you yeah. wouldn't somebody somebody hundred years ago would never recognize a hospital now because mm. it's so so different how it works. But education is still hundred years ago somebody would walk to kind of a random classroom or school would say you know this looks pretty familiar to me. Yeah, it's just a chalkboard or a whiteboard now. There's there's desks laid yeah. out. It's all the same model. So. Yeah. Anyways, Patsy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we wrap up, I've got one final question. And it's just, what would your number one piece of advice be to an 18 year old today? If you, if you're 18 years old, um, here, here in Australia, I think my advice would be to ask hard questions about how you can how you can use your school, how you can use your, your friends and family, your community to help you to find your passion. And, you know, if you want, if you're listening to this and say that, you know, I, I don't have a passion, some other people maybe do and they have a talent, don't think like this because you all, we all have it somewhere. Maybe your passion is just, the, you know, a little bit deeper in your in your soul than, than somebody, some others, but it's there, you know, just keep on searching and, and, you know, the purpose of the school. And if you haven't found it in the high school, go to university to, to figure out what it is, because that's, is the thing that will keep you, keep you happy and keep you going and enjoying life probably more than if you, if you kind of keep, you know, spend your life searching what your talent and passion is. Mm. So, so make, make sure that you, you, you make the benefit of, you know, those people and institutions around, around you right now, to make sure that you you can um, try to explore and and figure out what your what your passion what your element yeah. is and that will keep you going. Well, that's exactly. I've just launched a, a program. I'm creating a gap year program for young people to help them discover what they want to do. And we have you know parties and games and meetups and, and social activities as well as workshops on financial literacy and internship programs and work experience programs. So you can taste and try lots of different industries exactly yeah. for that reason to help them discover their passion or whatever it is that I don't know passions are kind of a bit of a fluffy word it's like whatever it is that you want to do um but yeah anyway Patsy thank you so much for coming on the show if people want to find out more read your books where's the best place to go uh well I I have my own website where I keep a lot of uh, materials including my books but then you know most of my all of my books are actually in, in Amazon or Booktopia here in, in yeah. Australia so so take a look. But Byron, thank you very much for having me in your in your program. And and you 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 keep on doing good things because I already hear that you're doing important things, you know, helping helping young people to realize where their where their passion and where their element is. That's thank important. you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'll put all the links below so you guys can check them out. But otherwise, this has been an amazing episode and I uh, appreciate you coming on, Passy. Thank you.